If you haven't, you can turn to Matthew chapter 6. As we continue in the book of Matthew, specifically in these few weeks, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount. So the, the way we'll break it down this morning is we will, we'll focus in on verses 1 through 4, all right, and then we'll jump over to 19 through 24. Those will be the, the primary text that we fo- focus in on. So read with me, verse 1. Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that may be, may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. All right, pause for a second there. Jesus comes to us with this topic of giving, right? Everybody's favorite sermon topic. And then he moves to praying and he talks about fasting. But what we'll quickly realize is that He's not coming to us this morning to to demand these things of us, right? Or to say, you should do these things more. In fact, he's coming already assuming you are doing those things and actually issuing a warning. He's going to address the motives behind the action this morning, right? As he talks about giving and praying and fasting, he really is more concerned with the motive of the heart behind the action. And that's where he's going to aim this morning. But then he transitions, in verse 19, he, he goes from dealing with the motives of our heart to, to then shifting to, hey, what's the focus of your life? What is the thing you're investing in? Really, ultimately, what are you worshiping? All right, so he shifts in verse 19. Read with me. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where Thieves, do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So, as you've seen uh, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, we are again confronted with the realities of the kingdom of God and, and kind of the realities and the brokenness of the kingdom of man. And this morning, church, we want to put our hands out and say, Lord, we want to look like citizens of your kingdom, both inwardly and outwardly. Our emphasis this morning, the main point is for us to be kingdom disciples, we need to have a a kingdom heart and a kingdom focus. So Jesus begins in these first four verses directing his teaching at our heart. He starts talking about giving, all right? He starts talking about giving, but he doesn't come this morning, church, to say, hey, what percentage are you giving? Hey, have you given? Hey, you should give more. Hey, I demand that you give. He's coming to actually warn us about selfish giving, hypocritical giving, giving that can actually reap judgment upon yourself. 
It's paradoxical almost because we assume that he's coming to ask for money, but he's not coming to ask for money. He's actually coming to warn us about the motive behind the action, right? He cares just as much, just as much about that motive, if not more, than he does about the act itself. You might say, man, what does it really matter? Do we have to make it about something that it's not? You might say, I give regularly. In fact, I give a lot on a regular basis. Don't come to me and act like I gotta address all these other things about giving. I'm doing it. But I think Jesus is actually coming to us saying, no, 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 you're making giving about something that it's not. Right? He's saying to us, don't make it about the act itself. He came to deal with the motive behind it. He didn't come to, to take money out of our bank account. Right? He came to deliver idols out of our hearts, to transform us into givers. Motives matter. Jesus didn't come to modify our behavior to look a certain way. He cares too much about you for that. He came to deal with the heart behind the behavior and to transform that. So as we act in obedience, we do it as a people who have been made new. Church, motives matter. We celebrated Valentine's Day just a few weeks, a couple weeks ago, right? Fellas, maybe you took your wife or your girlfriend out for dinner. Um, hopefully not both, you know, one or the other. Took them out to dinner for a date. <laughs> so Emily's like, what? what's wrong with you? <laughs> now imagine you, you go out on this date and you're, you're sitting there with her and she says, this is so nice. I'm so thankful that we were able to do this. It's been a while since we've been able to get out of the house. And, and man, this restaurant's so, so fancy. This, this food is great. I, I love this. Thank you for, for investing in our relationship like this, right? And, and you sit there and you just kind of lean back and say, well, I am only doing this because it's Valentine's Day, <laughs> right? Like, like at that point, that moment, that month is ruined, right? Like ruined. It's over because the moment she finds out that your motive was an obligation you might as well not have even done it, right? Never mind the fact that you reserved the reservation months ago, you drove her there, you paid for the food, you even had good conversation. When she finds out that your motive was to fulfill an obligation, you might as well have not even done it. Church, motives matter. Parents, what motivates you when you raise children? I get motivated to have obedient children. And I can get caught up in trying to conform my kids to look, to look a certain way, right? Because I think if they're obedient, I'm happy, right? I equate their obedience with my joy. That's false thinking, right? I just think if they would just get in the car when I asked them, all our problems in life would go away, right? If they would just put their shoes on, everyone would be okay. Maybe you felt that. Listen, can I warn you? You don't actually want obedient children. You want children who desire obedience because ultimately you want children who are going to experience the blessing of obedience. Church, that's what Jesus is inviting us into, the blessing of giving, the blessing of praying, the blessing of fasting. He came to deal with the heart. He loves you too much to conform your behavior. He wants to deal with the inside. Jesus said, and, or Paul quotes Jesus in Acts 20, and says it's more blessed to give than receive. Do you believe that? It's more blessed, blessed to give. 
That's what he wants for us, for us to experience the blessing of giving and praying and fasting. Don't take the blessing and, and turn it into a burden, right? Because you've, you're so focused on the act itself, you've been disconnected from the joy of, of being connected with the heart of the Father. Motives matter. God has motives. If you want to know the Father, don't look at what he does. Look at why he does it. Why did he create in the first place? Why did he then pursue mankind after they rebelled? Why did he send his only son to die on the cross for our sins? Don't just look at the actions. Look at why he did those things. Love. He loves you. He loves you. His motive was an unfathomable, unimaginable, incomprehensible love for us. And he wants his motives to be transferred onto us and for our motives to be in line with his nature and his character. Because ultimately, church, the kingdom of God is it's not filled with givers and those who pray and those who fast. It's filled with people whose hearts have been transformed by the power of the gospel. Don't hide behind your good deeds. Let our hearts experience the blessing of obedience in these Christian disciplines. Now, you might be saying, wait a second. Jesus just said a chapter ago, I, I picture my six-year-old Noah. He he'll always say, wait, 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 wait. He likes clear instructions. He likes things to make sense. And he'll always say, wait, 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 wait. So you might be saying that. Wait, 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 wait. Didn't Jesus just say, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works? And now he's saying, hey, don't practice your righteousness in front of man so that you may be seen. That's self-contradictory, right? How in the same sermon is he saying two opposite statements? It's because at the heart of that instruction, he's aimed at your motive, right? In one, you are giving glory to God, and in the other, you are gaining glory for self, which is it, practicing our faith publicly or, or practicing our faith privately? Again, his teachings aimed not at the action, but at the place within you that nobody else can see. He's more concerned with the heart behind the act than the act itself. Look, you might fool other people. You might even fool yourself. But God knows and sees the heart. Examine your motives, right? I love the message translation of this verse says, be especially careful when you're trying to be good so that you don't make a performance out of it. It might be good theater, but the God who made you won't be applauding. Whose applause are we living for, right? In a world of social media, we can get instant feedback, instant affirmation. Think about it. Why, why do you portray your Christian life online the way that you do? Here's the crazy thing. You can portray your, your spiritual life and you can uh, promote God's kingdom on the internet in a way that is in genuine, a genuine display of your heart's affections to glorify God. Or the, another person can do those things in the exact same way and do it with a heart that is motivated by, I want everybody to think I'm spiritual. I want everybody to think of me this way. You might fool your audience, but the one whose approval you need is not fooled. Examine our motives. Whose applause are you living for and why? What is the reward that you're ultimately after? This text tells us that our reward is directly connected to the motives of your heart. 
We tend to think, well, if I can produce this result, I'll get this type of payback from God. But God is saying, no, your reward is based on your motives, right? So if your desire, if your motive in life is to gain the approval of this group of people or to gain the acceptance of this group or to have validation from this person or to achieve this goal, if those are the motives of your heart, your reward is connected to those, which means when you gain that approval from that group of people, that dopamine hit that you got in that moment, that's your reward, right? And then you'll go and chase it again and again. And the reward that you're living for is fading and falling and destroying. And God's sitting here saying, no, 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 I I have an, an eternal reward, one that never fades, one that never goes away. That's what should motivate us, right? That should motivate us to to give sacrificially and to to pray with urgency and to fast before God expectantly. You see, when, when our motives are connected to the kingdom, the kingdom is our reward. Church, let's not hide behind our good deeds while our hearts are far from God. Let's not hide behind the checks that we're able to write. Let's not be ashamed of the checks we're not able to write. Let's not heap up lofty prayers to God like the Gentiles do in verse seven as if he approves of those prayers more. Let's not boast about our discipline and fasting as if it's a badge of honor. Ultimately what he's saying to the achiever, to many of us is is something very, very frustrating. He's looking at us and he's saying, hey, hey, your good deeds can actually be bad deeds. Who then can be saved, Jesus? If you're here this morning and you're new to the faith and you're like, man, I just got my life together. I got my ducks in a row and you're coming and telling me that all the good stuff I'm doing can actually be bad stuff. That's really frustrating. I get it. Embrace that frustration. Let the frustration of striving for the approval of Jesus, leads you into the depths of the gospel so that right in that moment, you are met with a love that frees you from that bondage, right? It's in that place that your inadequacy is welcomed, right? Your inability is celebrated. He's going to embrace you in love, not because of what you were able to do, but because of who he is. Let that frustration drive you to the gospel. Don't hide behind your good deeds. Address the heart. Jesus didn't come so that we could go and live for God. He came so that he could live through us. Examine your motives this morning. If you give, why do you give? If you don't give, why do you not give? Parents, what is our motive as we raise children? What is our work ethic, or what, what motivates our work ethic? What's our motive in our prayer life? What's our motive in fasting or not fasting? Motives matter. So Jesus deals with giving and praying and fasting, ultimately to talk about the condition of our heart. Then he transitions, all right, to verse 19, right? As we mentioned moments ago, he transitions into, okay, now, Let's see what it is that you're living for. What are, or what are you investing your life in? The ultimate question there is what are we worshiping? So in order to be a kingdom disciple, we need to have a kingdom heart, right? But we also need to have a kingdom focus. 
Jesus, in verses 19 through 24, brings into focus the nature of the kingdom of man versus the kingdom of God. And he's saying, listen, invest your life in, in things of eternal value, not the things of this world that will rot and deteriorate and be stolen even, right? Don't give yourself to worthless things because ultimately you too will become worthless. What are we living for? Look at verse 24, the very end. He says, you cannot serve God and money. These verses right here are about money and the things money can buy. Jesus talks about money a lot. You and I are called to serve God and use money, but we often switch it and we serve money and we use God. Money can be a great, great blessing, but it can also be, as we'll see, a great danger. There's a reason Jesus talks about money more than he talks about any other topic because he's very aware of the subtle nature of money and how it can creep in and steal the throne in a way that we don't even see. He talks about money so much it would be equivalent to Pastor Jared coming in here and, and first Sunday of every single month, every single year, preaching about money. You'd get tired of that. We'd grow skeptical about that, right? We'd say, we've heard this before, but Jesus lays it out there time and time again because he knows how dangerous it can be. Bailey, if we live in a wealthy place, a wealthy context, there's a lot of wealth here. But let's just be careful that what we call blessing is not actually blinding us to who the true king is. Right? Let's make sure the motives of our heart and the condition of our heart is in line with the Father. Money can creep in in a way that we don't even realize sometimes. You know uh, the movie Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, first one, right? Remember that, that kind of opening scene where Indiana is running through the temple and he's got to go get this golden statue and, uh, and take it and you know what I'm talking about? Like, don't act like you haven't seen this movie. <laughs> Came out in 1981. And uh, he gets to that golden statue and he knows that he has to replace it with, with something of, of equal weight. Because if he just takes it, that, that stone throne will, will be triggered, right? And the, the temple will collapse and it will trigger all these traps and, and he'll die probably. And so he says, all right, I'm gonna, I'll take this bag of sand. So he takes a bag of sand and he gets up to this golden statue. And he knows that in order to take what's off of that throne, what should be on that throne and, and replace it, he's got to have something of equal weight. So he, he grabs that bag of sand from his pocket, remember? And then he, he actually takes some out and he sprinkles it just to calculate, all right, is this right? And then he knows he has one shot. And in the same seamless effort, he takes the idol, the statue, and rolls the sand on it as if it never happened. So he places it right there on the throne. He took what should be on that throne off of it and replaced it with a bag of sand. And, and it sits there and he breathes a sigh of relief and he goes to turn around. But then what? falls it triggers the trap and the temple begins to crumble and the world as he knew it began to crumble that's what happens with us right as we try to seamlessly roll the the god of the throne off of it we think oh it's good it's good it's working but when life begins to crumble around you whatever is on that throne has to save you and money can't save you so we have to be careful with money. We have to be very aware of the dangers that come with the blessings of stewardship and how we manage these things. So how, how do we maintain a kingdom focus? 
Jesus says in 19, read again with me. He says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. All right, so how do we maintain kingdom focus? Well, Jesus presents us with two types of treasures, eternal and temporary, right? Eternal and temporary. That's an easy choice. Which one would you choose? Eternal, right? When I, uh, when I bring my home kit, my, my kids home some evenings, if there's time left before bedtime, I'll, I'll try to be a cool dad, and, right? And I'll say, all right, kids, would y'all wanna get your pajamas on and, and watch a movie or get your pajamas on and go straight to bed? And I always hope they'll choose bed, but they never do. And I know they never will. The obvious choice for them is pajamas movie, pajamas movie every time, and, I'll, and I know that. Yet it never fails. We get home and then they get out of the car and they, they run into the house and then they, they get distracted with this and they start bickering over this and then they want to eat this and then they wander over here and, and I'm looking at them and I'm saying, hey, hey your, your choice for a movie is fading, right? Time's ticking. What you wanted is, is now maybe a possibility. We have to be careful that the obvious choice doesn't detract us from actually pursuing it and maintaining focus on eternity. Everybody here is gonna sit here and say, I want eternity, not the temporary. Then what are we doing to pursue the eternal? What are we giving our life over to that is in line with the kingdom, with its values? Colossians 3, 2 says, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. In May of 1937, John D. Rockefeller passed away. He was America's first billionaire. After he died, someone asked his accountant, how much did he leave behind? And the accountant said, all of it, right? <laughs> you've heard the, the phrase, you've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You can't take it with you. Listen, it's, Jesus never says it's evil to own property. It's evil to make a lot of money. He never says it's bad to have a lot of nice things. But what he, what he does say over and over and over again is that we have to be very careful very, very aware of the subtle, deceptive nature that money has and material possessions bring to the table. He says in 21, where your treasure is, your heart will be. Meaning that will become the object that you have given yourself to. It has taken the place of savior in your life. It is on the throne, which means when it comes time for you and I to stand before a holy God, Whatever is sitting on that throne then has to justify your sin. Money can't do it. Whatever's on that throne, when we stand before a holy God, is what will account and atone for our sin. And if it's anything other than the blood of Jesus, we have no hope. Let's give our lives to eternity. Next, he moves down with an illustration. Going from types of treasures to, to now the danger of treasure, really, he says the eye is a lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness, all right? So picture it this way. Like if I told you, hey, I want everybody to close your eyes, and, and you've got to get from here, your seat, to your car with your eyes closed. That'd be really fun to watch from up here. But... You'd run into each other, you'd hurt yourself, you'd, you'd stub your toe, you're, you'd wreck your hip on these ends of pews right here, I've done it, it hurts, and it would be bad for your whole body, right? You would suffer 
because you're walking in darkness, okay? So easy fix, open your eyes. Okay, you're opening your eyes, we're fine. So the illustration's simple, right? Walk in the light and you will be blessed and you will be spiritually renewed. Walk in darkness and it will lead to destruction. Got it. But then he adds in this, this other statement, right? This kind of subtle statement at the end of verse 23 where he says, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So he doesn't just give us this simple illustration. He reminds us of the subtle nature of sin and how it can creep in and lead us from a life of faith to, to a life dependent on fortune, right? And it can lead us to a place of, of self-dependency. For some of us, perhaps Satan has a stronghold on your life right now and you don't even know it. I mean, this is up there with Matthew 7, the next chapter, when he says, hey, depart from me, I never knew you. Right? That's a verse that, that causes us to really examine whether or not we're in the faith. This should do the same. Hey, if the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? In other words, you and I can think we're walking in the light, yet we're walking in darkness. Examine yourself. Invite accountability into your life. Ask believers, where are my blind spots? What am, I, what am I missing? Let's not be fooled into thinking we're in the light when we're not in the light. Let's not blur the lines of, of culture and Christianity so much to the point where we've taken that mixture and we've made it gospel. Right? We've taken Christianity and we've taken our context and we've meshed it together and we've decided what is the most important and that becomes what we worship. Believers, friends, Christians are going to look radically different than the culture around us. We're gonna, we're gonna be a people who give sacrificially, right? A, a people who, who pray fervently and, and fast before God. We're going to look different because our hearts have been changed and, and Jesus is warning us, hey, you might think you're walking in the light, but examine yourself. Where's your heart? What's your treasure? Where have you fixed your gaze? Is it on the author and perfecter of your faith? Or is it on everything else around you? First John 1, 7 says, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Praise God. If we have no sin, or if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. I don't want us to be deceived. I don't want us to think we're walking in the light when we're not walking in the light. We have to examine our hearts. Lastly, in verse 24, he leaves us really with the ultimate treasure, doesn't he? He says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Well, which is it? What is our ultimate treasure? What is the thing we're giving our life over to. You see, maintaining a, a kingdom focus means that we are, we are recognizing that there are types of treasure, eternal and temporary. We're giving ourselves to the eternal. It also means that we're fixing our eyes on that which is Christ. And we're focusing our gaze upon him and inviting accountability into our life to help us run this race together. And then lastly, we're, we're choosing today whom you will serve. I'll end with this, the way Joshua says it in Joshua 24. It's perfect. He says, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served 
beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you'll serve, whether the gods of your fathers, the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land that you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Bailey, as for us, let's be a church who's serving the Lord, not hiding behind our good deeds, not hiding behind the things that we can achieve, but having motives that are in line with the kingdom and the nature and character of who God is and serve out of that overflow. Let's pray together, Bailey. Father, we're so grateful for our time this morning. Thank you that you're a God who doesn't call us to, to try harder and do better, but you actually empower that within us because of Christ and the work of your spirit in us. And so, Father, we wanna surrender to that work. Right now, I pray that you would bring us to a place of surrender. Lord, as, as we can sometimes get frustrated with, with the truths of scripture, I pray that you would just lead us to a place of rest and a place where the gospel overwhelms us and your love is all that we have. Lord, I pray now in this moment that you would generate a response by the power of your spirit and that we would be a people who are actively moving in your direction as you have moved towards us. God, we wanna be a people who are being conformed to your image. Convict us where we need to be convicted. Lord, encourage our faith where it needs to be encouraged. We surrender now to you in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for worshiping with us. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website, bayleaf.org.